Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, it's good to be back with you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you missed last week, I wasn't here. I was away uh, preaching at a men's retreat for another church in the valley. Uh, we are, if you are newer with us, we are a church that's about three and a half years old, and uh, we've been served a lot by other churches and other pastors. Uh, a lot of the reason we're here today is because of other churches coming alongside us and serving us. So it was a, a blessing to be able to go to another church. Uh, it was a men's retreat uh, north of Payson, kind of Bison Ranch, if you've ever been out there. And uh, I was able to serve another church and sort of give back as so many churches have served us. And then while I was away, uh, a guy named Ben Burdick was preaching to you guys and continuing in our series in the Colossians. And it was great to hear him. We even uh, Facebook lived uh, a little bit of the sermon. So we were watching you, right? We were watching. We know if you were here or not. We keep attendance. Uh, gold stars, if, if you were here. No, just kidding. If you're new, that's a joke. Um, but we did get to, uh, to get, kind of get to peek in on the service, as well as I brought a couple leaders uh, from Phoenix Bible with me. And so we got to walk around in the woods and pray, because that's when really God shows up. Amen? In the woods where it's cool and it's not 100 degrees. Amen? Um, we got to pray over Phoenix Bible Church and pray over some things we're going to talk about here in a second. Uh, we got to see two men trust Jesus for salvation uh, in the retreat, which was incredible. And so just lots of amazing things. Thank you guys for praying for us as we were away uh, doing that. And then uh, before I get into the sermon today, I do want to give you a couple of exciting updates. One of those updates is uh, elders. If, you are, if you're new to church or new to the faith, elders is really another word for pastors. Uh, we see those terms used really uh, synonymously in Scripture, and it's talking about men who come alongside the church and help shepherd and care for and feed and lead uh, the church. And so that, that imagery of shepherd and sheep is used a lot because uh, we have people that are coming along to feed, protect, care for, equip, just like a shepherd would with sheep. And, and as a church that's three and a half years old, we have one of those people, that's me, I'm the pastor of the church, but it, it's always been a desire to have more of those people because we want to accomplish a lot. We believe God's called us to accomplish a lot in this church, through this church, to love Jesus, live like Jesus, lead others to Jesus. And that doesn't just happen with one guy coming along to care and equip. And so we had a desire all along to, to develop men who would come alongside me and do that together as a team. And so excited to announce to you guys that we have five guys who just started a process to become elders uh, they're elder candidates at this point, and they're working towards uh, the day, hopefully later this year, where we will announce them from stage. We will commission them, pray for them, and say, hey, these guys have stepped forward to serve, care, lead, and equip you alongside with me. Uh, that's an exciting time. Uh, we should celebrate that. There's some men that are uh, stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, I want to I wanna serve uh, I don't want to lord over. That's not what eldership is, but I want to serve. I don't want to be in a boardroom. That's not what eldership is. I want to serve. I want to serve God's people and equip them for God's mission. And so we have some men who have entered into that process. You're going to hear about more, uh, hear more about them, see them on the website, uh, probably hear from them from stage at different times. You probably already know some of these guys. And here's what I love about this is three and a half years in, some of you may think these men are already elders, because they're already caring, serving, loving, feeding the flock. And so I love that. I've gotten to see these men serve uh, Jesus, serve their families in incredible ways. They're already leading in significant ways. This is just a more formal step to do that. So excited to tell you that. You'll hear more about that as we go along. And then kind of along those lines, yesterday morning uh, was our first official uh, training for that. 
7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, these guys got together with me and started this process of eldership. And one of the things we discussed was our church location. Uh, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we had some changes come up that really were a surprise to us about this space. So this space is called ASU Prep Academy. We've met here almost the majority of the life of our church, three years. And uh, about three weeks ago, Friday afternoon, I got a call, email, or admin gets a call and an email, and it just says, hey, we need to review your contract with ASU Prep. And Friday, 4 o'clock, uh, call and email, not a good thing, right? Uh, we meet as a church here on Sunday, and you're just thinking, okay, what's going on there? So, so we call them back, and they say, yeah, we need to review your contract. And I say, well, what does that mean? Uh, and they say, well, we need to actually move you guys along. Um, we need to evict you guys. You can no longer meet here. And I was like, so we don't need to review the contract. Uh, uh, that's, that's different. Um, and she's like, yeah, just, you know, yeah, that's right. Um, and so a uh, short story behind that is uh, this property is owned by Phoenix Elementary School District. They own this campus. And they came to them and said, hey, we want priority over this auditorium. It's a nice auditorium if you look around. And uh, we don't want you guys renting it out to anybody, especially a weekly renter like us, a church and so we want you guys to, to go, and we're going to have to break our rental agreement. And we talked through that a little bit. And uh, Sunday, May 27th, would be our last Sunday. At the time, I think that was like six-week timeline, uh, which is quite a thing uh, to move a church. We have equipment, we have people, we have website and all sorts of things. And six weeks timeline to do that is kind of tough. And so in that moment, uh, I shared this with you guys, my leadership, entrepreneurship, kicked in, and I said, okay, got off the phone, we're going to scramble, we're going to solve, we're going to overcome. This is what we do. We planted a church. This is how we roll. And I did that for a few minutes, and then I just started to pray, and I felt like God said, stop. Stop doing that. Uh, you don't need to scramble. You don't need to solve. You need to surrender. And we need to hit pause on this. We need to surrender the situation in our lives before God. And so that's what we did. If you were here that Sunday, it was a special day. Um, we scrapped the sermon. Uh, we remembered how God has really started this church through obstacles like this. That an obstacle like this helped give us an opportunity to even have Phoenix Bible Church. And all the baptisms, life change, community, and everything that we've seen. And we just said, hey, we think this is another obstacle that's going to lead to another opportunity to continue to grow and, and see this church grow. Uh, so we did that that Sunday. We called you guys to pray. You got out your phones. You set your alarms for noon every day that week. That culminated uh, in a Friday night gathering uh, of prayer. We just said, God, we want to surrender. We're not going to scramble, solve, or suggest ideas right now. We're just going to surrender. That's scary. Just so you know, that was scary for me to do. Multiple days, I'm like, yeah, but God, we got June 3rd. June 3rd, we need a place to meet, God. But no, we're going to surrender, Right? Oh, we, need, we should probably scramble a little bit. No, 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 we need to surrender. And that was the, the tug on me and, honestly, the tug on you because a lot of you texted me. You're like, hey, I know we're not doing that, but what about this? All right? And I love that. I love that you love our church and are invested in that way. But, but we really just stayed true to that. We wanted to surrender. So we did that that week. Um, the next week, uh, I got a call from uh, a guy I used to work with. So uh, without getting into the whole story again, the way this church started is a church closure. Uh, we were a brand new baby church, a few months old from a part of a mega church, a big church, and we got closed down by them. I got laid off with a month's notice, and my uh, executive pastor at the time that I worked with for a few months, his name was Marty, he got laid off with a week's notice. 
And uh, this guy is in his 60s, and he was actually looking to retire soon, but had to kind of just uproot his family and get another job. Eventually, he got a job at a school in Central Phoenix called Phoenix Christian School. He still works there today. And uh, got a call from him this, this second week following our, our prayer week, and he just said, hey, I listened to your sermon, and uh, I just want to let you know I'm praying with you guys. And I, I know God's going to provide something, but I will tell you, uh, you need to come over to Phoenix Christian because there's a church right next to us that we just acquired, a church building that's open on Sundays, Sunday mornings, which if you've ever been around church world or church planting, that does not exist, right? If that existed, we would not be in a school auditorium right now, right? Uh, multiple times we've joked, like, if somebody just has an open church building, let us know on Sunday mornings, like, and nobody let us know. Because that, that typically isn't available. And so uh, my old executive pastor, get this, just can I get some story time? Old executive pastor who gets laid off three and a half years ago from the church we worked at together, that that obstacle, really intense obstacle in his life in our church, ends up starting Phoenix Bible Church. He ends up going to get a job at a school called Phoenix Christian, who in January acquires a church that's still vacant. Then ASU Prep evicts us. My former executive pastor listens to my sermon. He doesn't always listen to my sermon. I'd love to think he does. But he doesn't always do that every week. Listens to that sermon, prays with us, says, hey, what about this church? And says, you guys should come look at this thing. Do you see, do you see the orchestrating God is doing there? Isn't that amazing? Um, and, and listen, I hope, I hope you see that. Uh, when we took that week to surrender, that wasn't cliché. That wasn't trite. That was a real heart surrender of, God, we believe you can provide. We believe the way you provide is through the prayers of your people. And, and we believe God's done that in a, in a very promising way. And so that uh, church building is at Indian School and 19th Avenue. It's about four and a half miles from where we sit right now. Um, we went over and toured it with our part-time staff. Uh, again, as our elder candidates have gotten involved in this, we talked about it and prayed through it, saw the building um, and just over and over, just begin to realize that this could be God providing. Um, just a, a couple details. You can see the building, so that's helpful. Uh, a couple details about the building. We would have access to it the majority of the week. Uh, we would get to leave things set up uh, for the most part. Um, we would have a partnership with that school. Uh, Phoenix Christian, if you don't know about that school, it's very diverse. It has international students. It has students from all over the valley that come to that school. Um, the principal there is a godly guy who wants us to be there, who wants to serve us as we serve them. Um, really, at every turn, uh, it's, it's almost too good to be true. Uh, it's the same price that we pay right now uh, for this school. Uh, four hours on a Sunday, we would get almost 168 hours. That's how many hours in a week. Uh, for the same price and, um, and be able to get in June 3rd and uh, just lots of things they offered. Hey, do you want an office here? You know, do you, you know all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and our leaders that were there touring it, our, our elder candidates, I mean, just they're seeing what I'm seeing and, um, and just overjoyed that God would provide that possibility. Um, in fact, I, I was talking to, I was on their campus on Friday, just had a conversation with them, and I was talking to one of our church uh, partners. We have other churches who help, who help support our church, and multiple of them are praying for us today. Two of them specifically that I know of, one in Portland and one in Texas, were taking this Sunday before their congregation to pray for Phoenix Bible Church. 
which is amazing. And I'm talking to one of them on Friday and giving them the, the down low of the situation. And he's like, okay, so let me just think about this. You guys were in a school. You had a set of material down there, right? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, and, um, you know, you guys paid this much. And, he, and I'm like, yes. And he's like, um, and they were, you know, there was kind of a struggle, a wrestle there. And I'm like, yes. And then he's like, and so then this church building on a Sunday morning, same time, offered you an office and a place to have ministry and kingdom impact, a kingdom outpost in the, the central Phoenix area for the same price. And he just said, and I said, yes. And he just said, Tim, God kicked you out of that school. <laughs> God kicked you out of the school. God's, God's orchestrating this. And he's providing for uh, Phoenix Bible Church. And so listen, uh, this is not final. So I would invite you to continue to pray through this with us. Uh, but we do believe as we surrender to God that he is providing for us and through us. Uh, and, and, and just so you know, the reason why we have buildings, the, re- the church is not a building, it's a people, right? The reason we have buildings is, to ke- buildings is to care for the people we have and to impact people we don't have. A kingdom outpost, right? Uh, to do that long term. This, this may be short term. We had six weeks, right? Six weeks, right? Um, but the reason we have a building is to care for people we have, impact people we, we don't have, right? And so that's why this is a big deal. It's not because, uh, ultimately, it's not about set up and tear down. Ultimately, it's not about offices. It's not about the building. It's about caring for the people we have, impacting people we don't. And so as, as our leadership prays through that, as, as we've talked through that, as we've toured the building, thought through this a hundred ways, that's the goal. That's the mission. It's not the building. You need to hear that. And so that's what we need to continue to pray for. So here's what I would ask of you, is that you would pray. You would pray. Uh, you'd pray for unity within our church body. A transition like this, six weeks' time, there's always attrition. There's always, if we move next door, people would leave, right? Uh, just happens. I don't, I don't want that to happen, but it, it does. And so I would, I would ask that you pray against things like that. I would ask that you pray for the transition. There's equipment there's people, there's all sorts of things online that we have to change in a fast amount of time. Would you pray for our leaders? Pray for these volunteers, many of them, who will do a lot of that. Uh, would you pray for them? And would you pray just for our next steps as a church, that this banner that we've been waving the entire time of Jesus, loving him, living like him, leading others to him, that this next step would be another way we can do that in a fruitful and a faithful way. So, Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite Ron Groth. He is one of our leaders to pray uh, for us before we get into the sermon. And um, I would ask that you you pray alongside Ron as he prays for us and prays for you. And um, if you're ever thinking about a time to jump in and serve as well, now's a good time. Uh, There's going to be a lot to do. So put, put your hand in. Let's do this thing together and see what God does. Ron, would you? Pretty exciting, right? Uh. It reminds me of uh, the Old Testament where there were stones of remembrance and they would come out of a victory and they would build a tower or raise a stone and they called it the Stone of Ebenezer. It was thus far God has helped us. So I think in our hearts at least we need to raise that Stone of Ebenezer. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for how you are answering prayer. And uh, Lord, we're, we're just thrilled that by surrender and trust in you, 
that we can um, we can watch you work, and that's what we've been praying for. So, uh, first of all, we're we're grateful, we're thankful for what you've done, and uh, we also look forward to the next few weeks. We pray for all the pieces to come together. We pray for unity, uh, Lord, that we might be as one man uh, coming together and, and accomplishing what needs to be done. And we pray that uh, you would help us understand all the steps, all the little pieces, put them all together, Lord. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We also uh, lift up Tim as he now preaches a message on Colossians. We pray that our hearts would be open and uh, that you would have something that we would grow by and mature. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for praying with us, and um, we're going to transition into the sermon now. Uh, Colossians is where we are. If you didn't open up earlier, open up now to Colossians chapter 3. Dave read it, Colossians 3, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you on an armrest. Uh, Pull it up on your phone. Get God's word in front of you. You want to see the power in God's word, not my word. Um, So Colossians, if you are new with us, is 95 verses. Uh, 15 times in the book of Colossians, in those 95 verses, we see this phrase, in Christ, or in God, or in him. It's a thread, a theme that runs through the book of Colossians. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to uh, the church at Colossae of how to mature in Christ, right? That's the thread. And it, it really is applicable to us because we believe that church at Colossae was about three to four years old. Uh, Our church is about three to four years old. They need to mature in Christ. We need to mature in Christ. And in order for us to mature in Christ, there's things that have to change in us. In order for us to grow in Christ and mature in Christ, there's things that have to change in us. And so Paul has been laying out what it looks like to mature in Christ. Now he gets to, really over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to change in our lives. How we change, how people change, how the bad things in our life, the behaviors, the barriers in our life between us and God can, can move outside of our life and how we can actually change. And, and I think all of us here this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, you have some things in your life that you want to change, right? Some of you are acutely aware of what you want to change, right? If you're not a believer in Christ, maybe that's why you're here is because you want your life to change. You don't even know what that looks like yet, but you want something to change. We all have things we want to change, but here's how I think that can look at times. Um, it's like at my house right now. We have three kids, and we have toys everywhere, right? Parents, you, you'll say I'm into this in a little bit. Um, we have toys everywhere. As our kids grow, we have different seasons and stages of toys, right? And, and here's what will happen is there's every once in a while a season comes along, and we're like, we have to purge. Like, we have to get these toys out of here. And so here's what we do. We take the toys And we take a box, and we take the toys, and we put them in the box in the corner of the room. And we think, hey, we're going to take these toys, and we're going to donate them to somebody else who needs them, right? We're going to take these toys, we're going to put them in the box. All these toys, the kids don't ever use them, we're going to put them in this box, and then we're going to take them to a consignment shop or donate them to somebody, give them to somebody we know, and we put them in this box. And the thought kind of comes to mind like, hey, maybe we should take these toys right now and just get rid of them. But is that what we do? No. Just put them in the box. So then what happens? The kids find the box. 
the kids go find the box and they find the toys that they never play with, haven't seen in two years. But what happens next? They pick up those toys. <laughs> they squeeze those toys. They begin to play with those toys. And what was never played with is now played with all the time. <laughs> what was never loved is now loved more than anything else in the world. Like, Dad, you can't take Moosey. Like, not Moosey. I'm like, you haven't seen Moosey in two years. Moosey has dust on him. Moosey wants to leave. I mean, come on. Right? But they're in the box, right? So they get them out, and before you know it, they're across the floor, across our house, and what we thought we were going to get rid of is now being played with, enjoyed again, right? And we're stepping on little Shopkins and injuring ourselves. I mean, it's a bad thing, right? But this is the cycle of change that happens with our toys at our house, right? I think it's really similar for the Christian life, that there's lots of things in our life we would like to change. Right? Maybe you've listened to a sermon, you listened to a podcast, you read scripture, you prayed, a friend come, come, comes alongside you and says, hey, this lying in your life, I know you don't really mean to, to lie, but this lying in your life it keeps showing up, you're trying to uh, prove yourself to other people and be better than you actually are, this lying in your life, that needs to change. You see in scripture, my lust, my greed, my desire for approval, uh, that, that, that needs to change, right? That needs to go, right? But instead of ridding yourself of that completely right then, you say, oh, I'm just going to put it in the box, right? I'm just going to take this lust, just put it in the box in the corner. This greed, this desire for approval, just put it in the box, right? Why don't you take that out right now? Well, I'll do it later. I'll do it this week. And then what happens? You're like, that lust in the box, I mean, that, I really, I really love that lust, that, that greed in the box. Like, man, I haven't, I haven't enjoyed that for a while. Like, what if I just take it out and play with it? And before you know it, it's all over your house. It's all over your life. And what you thought you were getting rid of by putting in a box that one day you would get rid of for finally is back in your life. And then maybe a few weeks later, a few months later, you think, no, 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 I need to put that back in the box. And you go through that cycle of change over and over and over. All of us have been there, right? All of us um, have been there at points in our lives where we, we hurt, hurt from that. We experience pain from that, right? Some of us may be in that pain right now. And so the Bible, the Apostle Paul gives us a better way to change. That we don't have to be in that ongoing cycle over and over. There's a way for us to, to move things out of our life finally and fully, and he's going to give us that process. So if you need to change, if there's things about your life that need to change, Paul's going to help us. As we look at it, if you take notes, our first point is going to be this, that change begins by bringing to life new pursuits and perspectives. Change begins by bringing to life new pursuits and perspectives. We see that in verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, it says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So if we just stop right there, if you guys would look at the text with me, you see two key words right in the text. You see seek and set. That Paul is talking about our pursuits and our perspectives. That all of us have pursuits and perspectives in our lives, and these are really intertwined. Paul says, seek these things, set your mind on these things, and those are really intertwined in all of our lives, no matter what they are. And so it often looks like this, as you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready for work. 
and you pick up your phone and you scroll through social media and you see that somebody just celebrated their anniversary. And you first look at that and you think, aw, that's so great, so happy for them. But then you continue to get ready and you realize, I'm single and I'm not married. And you know what? Why are they going to throw that in my face? Like, I mean, it's so great that they found somebody. I mean, it's so easy, but it hasn't been that way for me. And you're just, you're still getting ready. I mean, none of this is voiced out loud, by the way. It's all, it's all going through your mind. And, and then you begin to shape your perspective, and then your pursuit begins to change for the rest of the day. You go to work, and you're, you're a little bitter. You're a little angry right, at God and everybody else. Um, you start to get a little desperate, and you think, man, i got to have somebody in my life. And so that, that guy that's sitting across the room that you know is not a Christian, who you know is not good for you, you think, well, maybe that guy. I mean, I kind of want that picture of that anniversary. Like, I want that. Maybe he'll do, or maybe she'll do. And what just happened is your perspective began to shape your pursuit, and they're intertwined just from looking at social media. That happens with our finances. We see, like, somebody says something about their promotion, their success, their house. Like, I just, I want to buy a new house. Why haven't I got promoted? Everybody else, they, they want a job, and it seems like they get their dream job. Why am I working at this job? And your perspective and your pursuit are intertwined, and they're completely transformed for that day or that week. And so Paul is pointing out two things that are directly intertwined, seeking and setting, pursuits and perspective. And there's influencing factors for all of these things in our lives. Sometimes it's social media. Sometimes it's something somebody said. Sometimes sometimes it's something somebody did. Sometimes it's just things we create in our own fleshly minds, right? But they're all intertwined. And what Paul is going to say is for the believer, I know not all of us have trusted in Christ and believe in Christ in this room, but for the believer who has... The influencing factor for what you set your mind on, for what you seek out, is Jesus Christ, right? That's what it says, that you've been raised with Christ, so seek these things. Set your mind on these things. It's not social media. It's not what other people say. It's not success. It's not finances. It's Jesus. The influencing factor that intertwines our perspective and our pursuit is Jesus alone. And Paul begins to explain that. And the way he does, look at the text with me, is in verses 1 and 2, twice it says, above. Above. Now, this isn't just talking about location, right? It's not just talking about a place. It's talking about a pattern, right? And, and so there are ideas in our faith and beliefs that we have and hold to that one day we will be in a place called heaven. Like when we say above, most of us, that's what we're thinking about. We sing an old hymn called I'll Fly Away. You guys know that hymn? It's okay if you don't. Um, it's a great hymn. I love it. But uh, it says, some bright morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Right? And it's talking about this, this place and above. In fact, Dana, would you just come and just t- tickle the ivories? Play it for us. No, just kidding. Uh, it'd be fun, though. We could do that later. Um, I'll Fly Away. It's a great song that This place, we're going to go somewhere, we're going to escape this life, we're going to go somewhere where all things are going to be made right and new. 
And there is an aspect of our faith where we look forward to that day. We seek and set our minds and our lives on that truth, right? That's a good thing. That's not really Paul's point here, though. Paul is not just talking about a place. He's talking about a pattern of our lives. He's not just talking about location. He's talking about lordship. The reason why we know that is if you look at the text again with me, verse 1, it tells us specifically, above, seek and set above, where Christ is seated. And so what makes heaven one day amazing, what makes a place amazing is not the place, it's the person of Jesus Christ. And what makes that place amazing is not even just the person, it's the fact that Jesus, the person, is seated. It's really significant language that Paul uses. That seated is, is inferring position, authority, completion, that when Christ comes to the earth, lives the life that we can never live, when he dies the death that we deserved in our place for our sin, when he rises again, conquering sin, Satan, death, and the grave, he ascends to the Father, and he's seated on the throne. It's completed. He has ultimate authority. He is Lord. So it's not just location, it's lordship, what Paul is talking about here. And and that idea of Lord is the idea of an owner of property. We've said this before, But if Jesus is Lord, he's the owner of property. For Jesus, that means he's the owner of the entire universe. That's his property. That's his house. And so Jesus being seated, us seeking and setting our minds on him is meaning we are setting and seeking Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Not just one day in heaven, but today here on earth, right? That Jesus would inform our minds and affect our lives. Everything completely as we seek, as we set. And so here's what that looks like, is that in our relationships, that we believe, this is our perspective, we believe we should love people unconditionally, right? Why? Because that's how Jesus has loved us. And so that's our perspective. If Jesus is Lord of our life, that's our perspective. So that changes our pursuit, right? If you love people unconditionally, what do you do? You serve them. You forgive them. You repent to them when things get messy. You don't abandon them. You stay. You love them. Scripture uses language of a covenant. Marriage, we see that. In church families, we see that. You you love one another. That's your perspective. So your pursuit is is service. It's faithfulness. You see that in success, that the first shall be last. That's your perspective. Jesus said that. Jesus, the Lord, washed people's feet. So if we believe that, if that's our perspective, that's success, then that creates a humility. Not a promotion, not a platform, but a humility. That's our pursuit. Our perspective in finances is that we are stewards, not owners. We aren't lords. Jesus is Lord of our wallet, of our finances. We're stewards of that. He gives us that. And so if we believe that, if that's our perspective, it changes our pursuit, pursuit, doesn't it? We give. We give generously. We sacrifice because that's our perspective. Our perspective and our pursuit of Jesus as Lord, seated at the right hand of God, informs and affects everything about our life. It's intertwined. Now, how is that possible? We see it again in the text. This is possible, verse 3, for because you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Your life is secure. It's hidden. It's not going anywhere. Your life is hidden in Christ. When God sees you, 
He sees his son, Jesus. You're hidden there. Verse 4, when, you're, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then you will fly away. Amen? That is the eternity and the identity of the Christian. And so how do we have this kind of viewpoint, this perspective, and this pursuit? Is it just positive thoughts? Is it just that we're optimists? Is it just that we say, hey, keep your head up. I mean, fix your mind on things above. Don't let the world get you down. Listen to positive, encouraging K-love. Right? Is, it just, is it just those things? No. The way we have this pursuit, the way we have this perspective of Jesus as Lord over every aspect of our life is our identity and our eternity. For we've died. Now we've been raised. For one day we will be with Jesus for eternity. Our identity, our eternity shapes our perspective and our pursuit. I heard a guy, another pastor talking about this, Augustine, an old theologian who lived a pretty bad life before he met Jesus, if you know the story of Augustine at all. And the story goes a little bit like this, that he was really involved sexually and in a lot of sexual sin. He met Jesus, and God began to slowly uproot that in his life and change his life and use his life to influence a ton of people. Uh, but the story goes like he's walking along and he sees one of his old mistresses. And, and he kind of tries to ignore her. And she comes up to him and she says, hey, don't you remember me? Like, don't you remember all the times we had together? Augustine, new perspective, new pursuit. He says, yeah, I, I remember you, but I don't remember me. Because I died. That me who did those things with you, died with Christ. I'm a new creation, 2 Corinthians says, right? I'm a new person. It's not just some things changed about my life. I am brand new, right? That's your identity in Christ. That's your eternity in Christ. That's how, it's not positive thinking. That's how you can have a transformed perspective and pursuit. Right? That's how you change. That's how Paul is calling us to change. That's where it starts. Now, if our perspectives and our pursuits are really going to come to life, there's some other things that really need to die. And that's where the passage keeps going. Look at verse 5 with me. That we change by putting to death old behaviors and barriers. We see that starting in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, your, in you, and then begins to give us a list. Don't you just love lists in the Bible? Yeah, we love these, right? Let's lean into it together, right? It says, put to death, therefore it is earthly in you. Here's the list. Sexual immorality. That word is porneia. It includes everything that's uh, sexual sin outside of a covenant between a man and a woman, right? And so anything you can think of, pornography, adultery, lustful thoughts, anything you can think of is all wrapped up in this one word, porneia, sexual immorality, then it continues the list. Impurity. Seems like the same thing, but it's a little bit different. This is a wider perversion that you can have impure thoughts about other people, but you can have impure thoughts about anything, right? And so impurity. Passion. That's uncontrollable lusts. That would be like if you love sports, but it has become an idol in your life. It's uncontrollable. It, it takes a hold of you. If you love your job, you have a passion for your job, but it's a little bit more than that. It takes control of you. It's uncontrollable. You can't be in control of that. It's taken over you. Evil desires. You want wicked things to happen. 
right, to other people, sometimes to yourself, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about other people, evil desires, covetousness. When you covet, when you're greedy after things that you don't have, right, that house, that finances, that person, that spouse, and you say, hey, I want that, that's covetousness, that's greed, which is idolatry. Verse 6, keep tracking with me. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That God is holy. We just described us, right? That there's other passages in this book that have described God, That he's righteous, that he's holy. The way we said it a few weeks ago is that the magnitude of the offense is directly related to the magnitude of the office. And so you read this list and you think, well, the wrath of God is coming. Some of us don't like that language. We're uncomfortable with that language. You see, the magnitude of the offense is related to the magnitude of the office. God is holy. God is just. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. When we sin against a holy God like that, the magnitude of the offense relates to the magnitude of the office. There has to be punishment. For God to be just, he has to punish the sin that we see in this passage. That's where we get God's wrath. We also have God's love, which is amazing, but we can't ignore God's wrath. We can't have God's love without his justice. And you wouldn't want that, right? You wouldn't want for God to let other people who exhibit these traits, who hurt people, you wouldn't want them to be let go. You wouldn't want them to go unpunished. We cry out for justice. That's what God is giving us when he gives us his wrath, right? Now, by God's grace, he makes a new way. He raises us to life in Christ. We don't have to experience his wrath, but it is there if we will not repent and trust in Jesus. Verse 7, it says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. He's talking about their past life. This is who they used to be, the one that died. You used to do these things, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie. So lying, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Verse 10, you put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So in that list, we get some behavior and some barriers that Paul says we need to put to death. Now, there's two ways to read this list. One way is this. You can read this list of who you should become. So you can see this list and think, these are things I need to do to become raised to new life in Christ, to become that. The other way to read this list is because. These are things I do because I'm already raised to new life in Christ. Right? It's a very important distinction there. Do you see that? We could read this list like many of us just did as we chronicle these different sins, some of which we struggle with right now. We could read that list and feel guilty and horrible in all the ways that we are lacking because we're thinking these are the things I need to not do so that I become raised to new life in Christ. If you read that list that way, if you heard it that way, that's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, these are things I do because I'm already raised to new life in Christ. Do you see the difference? Right? That's why he says, if since you have also been raised with Christ, like since this is a reality in your life already, so do these things. 
And so the guilt that you feel, the shame that you feel, that's not what Paul is going after. He's saying, I want you to be who you already are in Christ. Colossians 1.22, we see that, that we are perfect, blameless in his sight. The passage right before this that Ben preached on last week, it talked about all these other things that you're going to feel led to do to become a new person in Christ. And it said, don't do those things. Don't get wrapped up in those things. It only happens through Jesus. This next passage, Paul doesn't change his, his, his mind on that. He doesn't say, don't go to religion. It's all about a relationship. But now, it's really about religion. Paul doesn't do that. Paul's saying, this is who you are, so this is how you live. Now, there are some things in this passage, in this book as a whole, that we have to contextualize. Last week was one of those Sundays, if you were here. It talked about new moon festivals. It talked about Sabbath. The week before that, we talked about circumcision. Not something we talk about a lot, unless we're in the hospital with the sun, right? So there's some things in the Bible, some things in the book of Colossians that we have to contextualize and say, well, it was like that then, here's what it is now, right? This list, not one of those things, right? Sexual immorality, greed, wrath, malice, anger, these are things that humanity has struggled with since the beginning of time. I don't need to contextualize it. These are the same things. Now, you would think that by now we would realize the freedom we thought we had sexually, the freedom we thought we had in our greed, you would think that now we would realize the freedom we thought we had in our approval, the freedom we, had, we thought we had in our idols, is not a freedom, it's actually a prison. Right? We've had thousands of years of proof of that. You'd think we'd get that, but we haven't. Right? And so Paul is reminding not just the Colossians, but you, that this needs to be put to death, not, be, not to become who you are in Christ, but because of who you are in Christ. That these things, isn't that a gift? That Paul, who wrote this, didn't know you. He didn't know the Colossians. He didn't start this church. But Paul writes this, and this truth rings true for every single one of us in this room. That we need to put these things to death. That these things imprison us. They don't free us. And so God, in his grace, gives us a way to put them to death. Not just to stop these things. Because I know, as I mentioned that list, some of us can think of ways we tried to stop doing these things. I've tried to stop being greedy. I've tried to stop being sexually impure. I've tried to stop being out of control in my passions. I've tried to stop that, and I've really just done, I've put it in a box for a little while, and I said, one day I'll get rid of that. Like I was hearing a sermon, and I thought, yeah, one day, that, that needs to go, but, but not today. Today I'm going to go eat lunch. Right? So I'm just going to put it in a box right now. I'm kind of convicted, feeling guilty. I'm going to put it in a box. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to really kill it one day but maybe not today. And a lot of us have experienced that. And so Paul is going to use really intentional language again and say, put these things to death. Don't put them in a box and then pull them out and play with them. That's, that's not who you are anymore. That person who played with those things died. You're a new creation. You're new in Christ. Put those things completely to death. In the Greek, when it says that, that's a tense that implies a decisive action now, John Owen, a Puritan, wrote about this. He, called, uh, he talked about killing sin, the mortification of sin, that you have to kill sin or it will kill you. Right? It's immediate action. It's putting it to death. It's lethal force. 
um, just a couple weeks ago, actually. My wife and I were looking at a house. We're looking to buy a house. And uh, we're looking in this one house. And as soon as you walk in, you realize something significant. They have cats. And so we just stopped right there and prayed for them. Um, prayed for you. If you have cats, I apologize. But we did. We prayed for you. And, I mean, you just you know that smell, right? And she's had that cat for a long time, right? Uh, so it was just rich inside the house. It engulfs you as you walk in. We're talking to our realtor, and, and, she, and we're just like, yeah, you know, the house is in pretty condition, and, like, we could vacuum the floors. Like, we could just get this thing cleaned and put some uh, air fresheners and maybe throw some, some Febreze on it. Like, sprinkle that. That'll help, right? And our realtor, who's obviously walked in a lot of houses with a lot of cats, is like, Tim, that's not going to work. Right? That's not going to do it. Like, you're going to need to rip up this carpet, put in new flooring, and I think there's a company that will come out and, like, fumigate to get that smell out, right? And we were just like, really? Like, you need to do all that? She's like, yeah, I've seen it. I know what happens. It's just that way in the Christian life. Why does Paul say put it to death, mortify it, use lethal force? Because just modifying things and saying, hey, well, we'll just change this. Like, change the way I go to work, change, change my routine. I put it in a box. Sprinkle some Jesus on it. Right? Just like Febreze. That's not going to work. Right? That stench, that smell, that pattern of your life, it's still going to be there. Right? You need to uproot it, put it to death, kill it so it doesn't kill you. Now, another thing the Puritans would always say is not just kill sin or it will be killing you. They said, you know how to dislodge something in the heart that you chase after, an idol in your heart that you love, that's a good thing to you, that you feel like helps you, that lust, that greed, that approval that you chase after? You know how to dislodge that, uproot that, kill that? You replace it with a more beautiful thing, right? You know how to die to something? You're alive to something else, right? And so Paul isn't just saying, stop, kill it. He's saying, no, 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 stop, kill it. Because there's life somewhere else, and it's in Christ, and you're already in that life. You've already been raised to Christ. Grab a hold of those things. Grab a hold of the way he's designed sexuality, of the way he's designed your finances. That's where blessing is. That's where true pleasure is. And listen, all of us know that. After thousands of years struggling with the same list of sins, we've seen the pain Right? We know this is not going to provide pleasure for us. And so Paul is going to say, then kill it and get new life and other things the way I have designed it. Right? But first, you have to kill it. You can't bring it out and play with it. You can't sprinkle some Jesus on it. you got to kill it. Right? And so Paul is taking us through, this is how you change. This is how you change fully and finally. Not that you won't ever struggle, but listen, there is freedom, there is change available in Christ through this method. Through setting our minds, through seeking Jesus Christ, through changing our pursuits and perspectives, and then putting to death other things that don't align with that, behaviors and barriers. Barriers is the last thing we see. Verse 11, look at that verse. Just kind of wraps it up. He says, here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's letter to the Colossians was a letter that in that day, you have to picture this, it's different than today, 
And that day, they would have taken this letter out, and they would have read it out loud to the church, right? Not just one person reading it and studying it like you may do in the morning with your coffee. No, this letter would have been read out loud to the entire church. So you just have to put yourself in that mindset. As Paul says, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free. That was being read out loud, and as it's being read out loud in the church in Colossae, they're slaves, and there's free people, and there's Greeks, and there's Jews, and there's circumcised, and there's people who haven't been circumcised. So as Paul reads this, or not Paul, as they read this from Paul, there's people like that listening, right? And Paul says something really powerful. He says, None of that matters. Those barriers have been broken down. Just like your behavior is put to death, these barriers are put to death. Christ is all and in all. As all these people are represented, and as they're hearing that, thinking, no, 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 Paul, my circumcision, that's a really big deal. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's a barrier that's been broken down because of Christ. No, my, my uh, Greek history and background, that's, that's a big deal. Like, Paul, Really? Yeah, that barrier has been removed, that Christ is all in all. So as they heard that, they could visually see, probably uncomfortably so, the barriers are being brought down, right? They're being put to death, just like our behavior. I got to see this last weekend at our uh, men's retreat that I got to preach at. Uh, Really interesting men's retreat. There was 140 men there. Uh, Probably 75% of them were uh, older uh, white guys from suburbia. Uh, 25% of them were not that. They were guys who had been in prison. Some of them 25 years, some of them 7 years, some of them 9 years, all different races, all different backgrounds. And what was so amazing about that is I got to preach to all those people. They were a little more rowdy than you, I'll be honest. And I I enjoyed that. So if you want to get rowdy, like, go ahead. Um, But it was just great, man. It was just so great to see these guys who had been in prison. They got up and shared testimony of being thankful for being in prison, for some of what we just talked about, that God used prison to strip them down, to put to death all the things that they held up as idols in their life, and he began to dress them in Christ. We're going to talk about that next week, what we put on. And they gave testimony to that, story to that. And then you had some guys who were incredibly uncomfortable as they heard these stories of prison, right? And you had this mixture, and you had black, you had white, you had Asian, you had Hispanic, You had all these different ethnicities. You had all these different backgrounds. You had people who were slaves in prison who are now free, right? You had all these different people represented in this room. And the most beautiful part of that is when we would sing. Because when we would sing, man, you didn't know who was who and what was what. Because everybody was yelling out Jesus. Everybody had their hands raised. I mean, these, these men at this retreat probably never seeing normally in life, are just belting it out. And literally, sometimes during the sermon, they would just yell out, Jesus! Right? It was amazing. And, And nobody knew who was slave, free, background, personality, ethnicity. We were brothers in Christ, celebrating. I'd walk around, see people praying with one another, huddled up, men in tears, together, right? And you got to see that, a vivid picture of what Paul is describing, that the barriers that once divided us have been shattered in Christ, right? Put to death, just like our behaviors 
our barriers have been put to death. I know that's kind of a different sermon, right? That's a whole other series. But, but you just need to know, you need to see that in this room. As we think about Central Phoenix, there's a lot of different types of people, lots of races, lots of backgrounds. And what brings us together is Christ, and he kills barriers. He unites us under the banner of Christ, who is all in all. And so listen, today as we close, here's two questions I want you to ask. As we think about these barriers and behaviors that need to change, first, we have to start with our perspective. And so what about your perspective needs to be brought to life in Jesus? That you are forgiven in Christ. You have been raised to new life in Christ. You are set free in Christ. Is that the perspective that, that you live with, that you start your day with? What needs to change about your perspective so that your pursuit will change? Second thing, what behavior or barrier needs to be put to death? Not played with, not just put in a box, not just modified. What do you need? If you're honest, you all know this. You know what that is. You're thinking about it right now. That's what needs to be put to death. That sexual immorality, that passion, that idol, the way I misuse my finances, the way I get angry, my selfishness, it needs to be put to death, right? What is that for you? That, that's something that you can begin to put to death today by confession, repentance, going before God. He will forgive you. He will set you free. And you can change. This is where change begins. Right? We have to put some things to death. Uh, old behaviors, barriers need to be put to death today in this room. Next week, we're going to talk about what we need to put on. But first, we've got to put these things to death. So let's do that as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women. I thank you that you give us the power to put things to death, old behaviors, old barriers, that you give us the power in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. God, you have indwelled each man and woman in this room. If they have trusted in you, indwelled them with your spirit that's powerful. You've given them your life that's powerful so that chains can be broken, so that things can die, that we don't have to go through this cycle this Sunday and this week and next Sunday and next year and 10 years from now, that you have provided a way for us to experience victory and new life in you because we've already been raised to new life in you. So God, I pray that we would take these moments to, to kill what needs to be killed, uh, to go to somebody else, to partner up, to lock arms with other people, to say, hey, I, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to keep going back to this. Will you, will you help me kill that? Will you help me put that to death? Will you hold me accountable to that? God, I pray that that, that would happen. This is a hard truth for us, us to hear, but God, I pray that we would, we would not miss this moment. We would sit in it and, and, and respond how you would call us to respond in the power and in the name of Jesus.